Welcome to the show, everyone. We have a very special guest for you today. He is an amazing catch wrestler extraordinaire. He is well-trained in multiple styles as well and runs scientific wrestling. Welcome to the show, Jake Shannon. Hello, sir. Uh, thank you, sir. Yes, uh, scientific wrestling has been quite an interesting uh, project that I've <laughs> been working on. Uh, I mean, what's crazy is that, you know, the company is 20 years old next year. So wow. two decades with just the project specifically what I've been doing. But it, what's really weird is I was talking to somebody today on a, on another call and uh, I've actually been wrestling since 1977 or involved with martial arts since 1977. <laughs> That's like 45 years. I, now, granted, I was four years old. So, right. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. What'd you uh, start with? What kind of got you towards the martial art realm? Well, so when I was four, my mom put me in peewee wrestling. I did not have any idea it was a martial art, not at all. I just, you know, it was just like something that you did. I didn't even think about it. And then Karate Kid came out. I did wrestling, you know, peewee wrestling while I was a little kid. And then Karate Kid came out and I was like, oh, to hell with wrestling. Yeah. This is the real deal. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, did all the typical McDojo Taekwondo stuff. Got my black belt when I was 15. And, uh, that same year I got my black belt and then I ended up getting cancer when I was 15. Oh my goodness. And, really? Yeah. And so that took me out of the running, took me out. of. I, I tried to try out for the wrestling team. Couldn't even do the track team. Cause I was just so jacked from the chemo and the radiation wow. and stuff. And, uh, and so I just, I had to take a couple of years off through high school, focused on academics Ended up getting a good scholarship that got me to university. I was the first in my family to be able to go. Uh, but I went to a school that did not have a wrestling program. And so I just was like, okay, you know, wrestling's done. And I I'll be honest, I had one of those, like, I was disgusted with myself moments <laughs> where, like, I had just, like, gotten done with cancer. I'm totally out of shape. And I'm just like, dude, what the hell? This is lame. I've yeah. always been in shape and athletic and, you know, doing stuff martial arts-wise. And so I kicked it back in to gear. And um, that year, I think it was 93, there was a, a biopic on Bruce Lee called Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. And man, that really inspired me. And then the next, like, it, it couldn't have been more than six months, I attended UFC 2 in person in wow. Denver in 94. And then that changed my life forever. Because then it was like, oh my God. Yeah. martial arts but then oh my god grappling and i actually know a little bit about this and just my mind just was blown and i i tried from that moment on in 1994 i just pretty much dedicated myself to learning everything i possibly could about uh grappling amazing i mean and you're from colorado correct or originally yeah so i was born and raised here i moved away uh so after ufc i i, I think i was 20 years old or something when that came out in uh, 21 and I graduated from college like the next year and I moved right to California because back then there was no jujitsu anywhere. Uh, we had to fly in Pedro Sauer and oh, yeah. uh, Kaseka Munez and Ricardo Miguel and these other guys. We had to fly them into like Boulder karate and stuff and do seminars and then try to figure it out on our own. And um, I was like, no, I'm serious about this. So I moved to California Sought out uh, Carly, Carly Gracie, and then um, um, uh, Half Gracie opened a gym. I was in Northern California, San Francisco first. And then Half Gracie opened a gym uh, in the Mission District of San Francisco. 
And I never got to train with him, but Kurt Ossiander was there. Oh yeah. The, yeah and, he's a uh, so, so I spent a lot of time in California. Um, I left, I left uh, Colorado, moved to California and I had to, to kind of pursue this grappling uh, thing that had been lit inside me. Amazing. And let's dive into that. Cause uh, I mean, I've been doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu since 2004. Uh, oh, nice. and yes. And it, you know, I own my own school here in Illinois and we do Sambo. Uh, we incorporate for Nogi. We incorporate uh, catch wrestling. I've, I've been doing that more uh, the past five years, I would say, and fell in love with it. And it's such great cross training across the board. So can you kind of tell me how you got towards catch wrestling and, and how you got started with that. So, so I'd, you know, I had like, I, you have to remember my first exposure was UFC two. Yeah. And so like I did, I had stars in my eyes. I was like, you know, like some people want to be a movie star or a rock star or, you know, yeah. and I was like, I want to be up there. I want everybody looking at me that this is the coolest shit. Yeah. Like, I need to figure this out. And, uh, but I was, you know, dude, like I was the first person in my family to go to college. Like right. <laughs> I was so not connected. So like, like didn't know anybody, you know, but I was going and doing whatever I could knocking on doors, wrestling everybody. And, uh, but I just couldn't get any traction, you know? So like 90, huh. 97, 98, I'd already been doing it about four years. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck, man? I'm not yeah, getting a yeah. booking. I, you know, I, I don't know anybody like, you know, so I, I, frankly, I got burned out and I had an opportunity to do uh pro wrestling of all things. Really? And, and I was like, I actually never actually liked pro wrestling, but I was dating this girl and, and it was, and it was a, she was a stripper uh-huh. and I was really trying to impress this dumb girl. Yeah. And she was so like, this is when like SmackDown and shit came out. It was all oh, yeah. hot. And she thought it was the coolest thing. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to just try this shit. And I had this opportunity with these guys. And you know what, man? Like, I got more traction with pro wrestling in terms of getting up on big stages and doing crazy shit than I had uh, doing any of the martial arts stuff prior. And so, um, you know, I ended up going to Mexico, outside of Mexico City. It's a... uh, suburb it's called now Calpon and uh ultimo dragon who's a famous pro wrestler from the 90s had a dojo there a japanese dojo oh. and i had done some like american indie wrestling you know training and stuff which wasn't very good but when i went down to this japanese dojo i had another epiphany and the epiphany was because of the influence of guys like carl gotch and billy robinson in japan on pro wrestling when you weren't doing a show and you were in practice you always did real live pro wrestling like competitive pro wrestling but it was always just in the gym but this was more of a japanese approach interesting and i was like at that point kind of like i'm like now now we're talking yeah i'm going to get some traction i love this shit i'm getting the attention i want i ain't the the theatrical fake part but like i'm enjoying getting this performance style like getting out in front of people but now i'm like holy shit there's actually a competitive part to this and so i kept training in that i ended up getting um booked on the vans warp tour in 2001 and uh ended up touring the united states uh as a professional wrestler making 200 bucks a day (laughs) Uh, it was awesome it was really cool i was you know 20 well i think i was 28 and um at that time is right when wcw had been bought 
by WWE. And because of that, for of that summer, I was on the second biggest uh, wrestling promotion in terms of live gate because it was the war wow. tour. Right. Wow. So we're getting huge audiences. Um, and I even had a tryout with WWE uh, for their tough enough TV reality oh, show. Yeah. So I ended up having kind of these successes, but I still wasn't happy with the, like, frankly, you know, I never, I've always been lanky and didn't have the pro wrestler look. Things have changed now. You do have smaller yeah. guys, especially like WWE and NXT and AW. They have smaller guys now, but that wasn't the case when I came up. It was like you were six foot five and 250 or forget about it. Right. And so I was getting really tired of this. Like my fake wrestling is better than your fake wrestling attitude. Okay. I was getting from these pro wrestlers when yeah. I'm like, dude, let, let's actually shoot off. I'll, I'll fucking kill you. Yeah. Let's you do this. <laughs> right. And so I was getting really burned out on like the indie, the American style of pro wrestling. Now that I've gotten a taste of the Japanese stuff right at this time, right around 2000 is when Sakuraba came up and was just fucking cutting through the Gracie's knife through butter. butter. I mean, it was insane. Like one after another. And it was just like, boom, boom, boom. And he kept calling himself a pro wrestler. Yes. And I'm like, okay, dude, I'm, I'm in my zone. I, this is what I'm meant to be doing. This is like my life's passion, (laughs) but it hadn't quite formed, but it's in the formation. And, because of um, me being in pro wrestling, I was involved with a fraternal organization known as the Cauliflower Alley Club. It's a group of like pro wrestling fraternal. It's like so you can help take care of old pro wrestlers and stuff. Okay. Retirement and shit. Well, because of that, it was full of all these old timers. And I kept complaining. I'm like, man, this is what I want to do. I want to do like real competitive pro wrestling. And they're like, oh, you need to talk to so-and-so and so-and-so. <laughs> And so eventually, you know, I started talking to some guys who knew what was what they were talking about. Wow. Guys like Red Bastine, um, of course, Gene LaBelle. Uh, and through this research, I slowly started creeping towards, you know, and I'm looking up uh, Sakuraba trying to figure it and everything keeps popping up Billy Robinson. So now I'm starting to hone in on like, because I'm a type of guy, like if I want to learn, I want to, I want to win. I want to be best. I want to be number one. Like yeah. that's important to me. And so I just am like, dude, mentors and dude, if I can just get somebody who's really good to take interest in me, that's the fastest way for me to get really good fast. Well, that's how you migrated towards Billy Robinson. Yeah. So, but I was, I hit kind of a wall because he was in Japan at the time and I don't speak oh. Japanese <laughs> and I don't got no contacts in Japan. So, you know, I start training at this place there's a pro wrestling organization known as pro wrestling noah they're japanese and they had a satellite school in hayward california where while i was going to grad school uh, up in san francisco and i started training with them and they did the japanese style as well right so like now i'm really starting to get like immersed in this thing i end up stumbling on like through billy robinson and looking up billy and all these guys of course i stumble on carl gotch Mm -hmm. And Carl was still alive at this time. And I'm a really good researcher. Like I have my master's degree in financial math or it's actually called financial engineering. But so I ended up finding Carl's address and I wrote him a letter. I just (laughs) wrote him a letter. And this was probably 2004, I think. And I wrote him a letter and I explained to him what my interest was that I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed the Japanese influence. I want to do competitive pro wrestling. I want to do catches as can. 
and but you know Carl had this like crazy reputation, which yeah. is well earned. Like in that uh, what's that fucking uh, wrestling movie with um, Sal Bandini? I don't know. You, you know what I'm talking about? The, oh, the, oh uh, ready to rumble. Ready to rumble. Thank yeah. you. He was like that kind of character where it was like. <laughs> He'll kill you. Like you don't want to even yeah. get involved with this guy. And he was mean and everything else. And so I, but I, regardless, I write this letter outlining kind of my vision and what I would like to see happen and what I'm willing to do to make it happen. And one day I was actually on a set. It was because uh, I was in LA at this time uh, working in LA and I kind of was playing hooky for my quantitative finance job. And because I knew a lot of pro wrestlers, they would get me bookings as an extra on Hollywood oh, cool. movies because they were a lot of stuntmen and extras like Gene LaBelle and stuff. So I'm on The Longest Yard, the remake oh, done by yeah. Adam Sandler. Yeah, I'm saying, yeah. It's like got the uh, Stone Cold in it and the great Collie and these other wrestlers. Anyway, I'm just sitting there bored out of my mind in between takes. And this is how old this was, is my T-Mobile sidekick rings. <laughs> and I pick it up and I'm like, yeah, hello. And, and he, it's Carl Gotch. Wow. And I'm like, whoa. And I just walked off set. I was like, fuck this. I'm out. <laughs> and like from then on, Carl and I uh, struck up a really good uh, friendship. And he was a mentor for me for four years until he passed from 2004 till 2007. And for anybody that is interested into this, I was fortunate to be able to record a lot of those phone calls, those mentorship phone calls that I had. And I put them up for free if anybody wants to check them out. Or, or would, you know, they might be bored too, but you know, it's like me picking Carl's brain uh, on catch. Cause I was running a club and I wanted him to help me figure out how I could run my club and out of the cool. Santa Monica high school wrestling gym. And, uh, but that's all, if you go to Carl Gotch, K A R L Gotch, G O T C H.com, that'll take you to, to the site. And I've got, it's gotta be 10, 15 hours of conversation up there with him. Wow. And just, yeah, picking his brain. He was uh, also, uh, I guess a good word, it's notorious uh, for his yeah. fitness regimen as well, correct? Yeah. So now he was in Tampa. This is where he had retired. And I'm in LA and in uh, working, right? So I can't just willy-nilly just go do stuff. So I was just bugging him on the phone all the time, but I did get to work out with him a couple times. And, uh, you know, it is true. Unless you paid him in squats and Hindu push-ups and bridging, he wouldn't have a time of day for you. So, yeah, he <laughs> first time I went to, I was staying in Bradenton with my aunt and uncle for Christmas. I think this was 2006. And uh, so I'm like, Carl, dude, hey, I'm around. I'm going to come see you. He's like, oh, yeah, come on, come on. So I am amped, dude. Like, I yeah. wake up. I can't even sleep, you know, like a kid before Christmas. I'm oh, like, yeah. oh, my God. And nervous, too. And this is after I've known him for, you know, two and a half years. So I showed up. I hadn't eaten any breakfast because I was so excited to get there. So I drove up from Bradenton up to Tampa and he opens the door. He's like, Jacob, come on in. Come on here. Let's have a cigar. It's like a, it's like 1030 in the morning, right? For me to drive that far. And I'm like, okay. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to say no. Right. Yeah. And I don't smoke cigars. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I sit down. And I'm smoking this cigar and we're bullshitting. And he's like, oh, let's have some plum wine, which is this super sweet, syrupy oh. wine. It's gross. Like, I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. So I'm drink I'm smoking this cigar on an empty stomach, drinking this plum wine, huh. and we're bullshitting for like an hour. And then he goes, okay, now's when we work out. And I'm like, oh, oh. 
Dude. So anyway, I, he made me do Gotcha's Bible, which is uh, a variation where he uses a deck of cards, and then the face value of the cards is the number of reps you have to do, and it ends up being close to 500. I don't think it's quite 500, but 500 squats, 250 wow. push-ups. Um, yeah, it was brutal. It was fucking brutal, especially after I, I had no calories. Yeah. I, I'm turning green from cigarette smoke and sick to my stomach from this sweet, sweet. <laughs> I know that he had to have done that as like a rib, like. You know what I mean? Oh. To get a chuckle out of it. But <laughs> yeah, so he was fantastic. And then, you know, one of the things is, of course, I'm asking him, I'm like, dude, can you show me? Can you show me? And a couple things, he was crippled up pretty bad. And um, he showed me a couple things, but he wasn't really able to move <laughs> very well. Yeah. And he had also, ever since his wife, Ella, had passed away, he kind of just was done with wrestling. And was just living this like monk life in Tampa in this little one bedroom apartment. And so I was always like, dude, well, how can I learn? And he's like, my number one student, the only guy that I recommend anybody learn catch wrestling, my style from is, uh, is Fujiwara, the, the wrestler. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, Yoshiaki Fujiwara. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. And so then I figured out how to fucking get Fujiwara out to LA <laughs> <laughs> and run camps. And so I did that. And so we had him out in 2006 oh. and, uh, and learned from him. And he's been a, just a great human being to me as well. I'm sure having the introduction from Carl helped. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, so I trained with him a little bit. And then the summer 2007, Carl passed away. And I was like, okay, so I still want to learn. And by this time, I'd also sought out Frank Shamrock who, you know, like has kind of been erased from the collective memory of MMA because of whatever beef he and Dana have. But oh, he was the most yeah. dominant MMA fighter of, of the 90s. But I mean, it's not even close. There was nobody even close. And so I sought out Frank. I got certified under Frank uh, in Shamrock Submission Fighting, mostly because I saw somewhere that he picked up most of his technique from Suzuki, Minoru Suzuki. Yeah. And when I asked Carl, who is the best student? It was Fujiwara. And I said, well, who's your best athlete? And he said, Suzuki. And oh, so wow. this was me trying to figure out how I can learn this stuff, given the circumstances, just not giving up and like not taking no for an answer and knowing that this was kind of my purpose, my like life calling. So when Carl passed, I was like, I mean, it was pretty rough, you know, because I, I was a good friend at this point. But I had also met a guy named Dick Cardinal who is a Pacific Northwest carnival catch, catch can guy. Great guy. Worked out with him for a couple of years. He was actually my first really in-person, specific only catch wrestling coach. I'd worked okay. out with uh, Dean LaBelle. I'd gone like six months to his dojo. Well, I, to Gokor's dojo where he oh, taught wow. on Monday nights. Gene was very, very good to me as well. He would take me around LA, like the Sportsman's Lodge. And I have a lot of good friends from him from that time. Uh, some in the stunt world and Anyway, so I, I was just trying to do everything I could to learn. and But at the same time, I was conscious of the fact, like, I cannot be the only person that yeah. wants this info. And so I started documenting everything. I had a college roommate when I was at University of Colorado Boulder. He now runs Thrasher Magazine. He's the head of Thrasher Magazine. Wow, really? Yeah. And I was, I mean, I'm. I'm like a transport skateboarder. I haven't skateboarded in probably a decade now, but like I used to skateboard, but not like half pipe or anything fancy just to get around. And that was because of his influence. But one of the things I noted in that culture is they videotaped everything. There was all these skateboarding videos. Right. And 
I had that in my consciousness and I had been a film major before I converted over to an English major while I was an undergrad. And so when I started doing the catch, I started documenting everything. And because of that, I have all that footage of Carl Koch. I have all this footage of Billy Robinson. I have this footage of Fujiwara. I have this footage of Dick Cardinal, right? Yeah. And so now I'm like, oh man, this shit is big. This is like catch is like a real thing. And it's so dominated by jujitsu. And this is really a true 100% alternative that, in fact, the argument can be made that Brazilian jiu-jitsu is, de- is derivative of catch because Maeda, who taught the Gracies, actually developed his style on the catch wrestling circuits when he was a pro wrestler in response to being put on his back constantly. So I start kind of seeing this and I've always had an entrepreneurial mindset. And I was like, man, this is like my calling. This is like what I'm supposed to do. You know, like I'm in the center of history with all this weird shit going on around me, you know? Well, you're right. Cause there's no, up to that point, no categorized way of getting this education and, and knowledge. And there was so much bullshit. There was so much like guys, like taking a playbook out of seventies Kung Fu marketing, like, Oh, I'm the master of this long dead art. And you can't verify anything I fucking say, but if I wrestle you, it'll kill you. And the sport deserved better, you know, because it's a sport. I felt like that this was actually like a really cool thing, you know, with a lot of history and a lot of like fantastic technique and a great rule set. And it's a sport. And, you know, like it kind of like these people were trying to use it to promote themselves as like, martial arts whatever and i'm like dude this is like a sport man it's like boxing this is like muay thai um you know the martial art mindset may not be a good match for this right because it's like oh i have a black belt in boxing people are going to look at you a little funny you know and it's like that mindset is not quite apropos for what a catch wrestler is they're they have more of a prize fighting approach to it you know and that always interested me too you know there's such a rich history of catch wrestling that not many people know. It's not mainstream. You know, like Karate Kid made karate famous in the States. That wasn't yeah. a big thing. We need like a catch is catch can kid or something. Um, <laughs> or all the work you've been doing. And I've had uh, Josh Barnett on the show, Eric Paulson, mm-hmm. like all these guys that are pushing for Sakuraba, uh, the Shamrocks, they train all over there, Fujiwara and everything. It always interested me too, because it's funny you say, like you start off on the entertainment side of it. Not that wasn't the strong interest, but you got more traction. And but with catch wrestlers, I always find interesting. A lot of them are just real shit, and then there's entertainment shit. And there's mm-hmm. always they're always doing both. Um, toggling people well, too. Can you kind of go into that a little bit. Yeah. So you know, this is the thing. Like I've kind of taken on this. I, I don't know what to call it, but like this quest to help people with grappling literacy because. Like you said, nobody even knows about catch. And it's so baffling because, honestly, it is the most influential, impactful martial art combat sport in the history of mankind. And I will prove this. More than jiu-jitsu, more than karate, more than, like, even more bigger than boxing. And I will explain it this way. Catch is catch can, okay? This grappling form that scientific wrestling is like my project to, to really collect as much information as possible, both technical and historical. Catch wrestling is, and this is the thing, like it's one of those things like fight me about this because I'm I'm ready, 
Like this is like a no brainer. It's a slam dunk. Catch wrestling is the biggest, most impactful combat sport martial art to ever hit planet earth ever because from catch wrestling came Olympic wrestling. Think about the number of people that have seen Olympic wrestling since it started in 1904 with free amateur catches. Catch can is what freestyle used to be called. So let's just look at Olympic wrestling, the impact that's had, which is directly derivative from catch catch can. Okay. Let's look then at the impact of folk style wrestling in the United States. Every person that's ever done wrestling in high school or college. Okay. Now we got all the Olympic people, all the people who've ever watched Olympic wrestling. We have all the people who have ever watched folk style wrestling or participated in folk style wrestling. Now I haven't, I haven't even added in pro wrestling, which is like bigger than NFL and soccer combined. If you look at the, the reach of WWE, it's the biggest. It is like dwarfs everything else. And I'm not even done. Yeah. Like I said, jujitsu came out as a res- Brazilian jujitsu is a direct response to catch wrestling. Carl Gotch was responsible for Shudo and Pancrase before UFC ever opened its doors. So we got MMA as well. So everybody else can fuck off if they're going to argue this point because they're wrong. And it's ironic because something is deeply ingrained into the collective unconscious and nobody knows what the fuck it is. It's baffling. And that's the battle that I'm doing right now, right? Is it like, guys, like wake up. And, you know, I think what sets apart what I've done is just having really high quality control standards, going to guys like Carl and Billy and Gene LaBelle and Dick Cardinal and Josh Barnett and trying to get the real deal and not cutting corners and bullshit. Well, and let me ask you that too, because you do so much in this field. I mean, especially the other guys I mentioned, like Josh Barnett, Eric Paulson, I was like, dude, you got to talk to Jake. I know you're into this shit. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I've, I've been following <laughs> you for a, a while, actually, Jake. And I love all the stuff you put out and I get that, you know, cause I'm like, dude, this is like almost lost history, let alone knowledge. It's crazy. It's crazy. Now, can you tell me from your mindset, all right? Obviously, you got that entrepreneurial side of you. What is the future of catch? Do you see it integrating more and more into everything? What is the future of catch? Well, so, okay. I, I could just tell you what I'm doing because that's kind of like, so the mission of scientific wrestling, my mission is to get every man, woman, and child on earth. We just crossed 8 billion people. This is a big fucking mission. Yeah. To get every man, woman, and child on earth involved in improving their lives through the sport of catches, catch, can wrestling, through scientific wrestling, as either a fan, athlete, coach, promoter, or some combination of all four. Okay. And because of that mission, that is my mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm anybody like that's why I'm happy to be on this podcast with you, is because this is helping my mission of yeah. reaching <laughs> as many people as I possibly can. So I've had several phases in my attack. Okay. The first phase was the grappling literacy phase because there was so much misinformation, propaganda, and bullshit and marketing that was counter to the facts that I could demonstrate with simple fucking photos from the 1800s. I put out over 10,000 pages of historical documents that you can find at uh, fightinglibrary.com. Now, that's not all catch, it's mostly catch, but I put a lot of bare knuckle boxing in there, some vintage jujitsu stuff some old uh, mace and club swinging stuff, but it's mostly catch wrestling material because I wanted to show, dude, you're acting like you invented these holds or these moves. Dude, this shit goes back 
at least as early as photographs. Renaming it, you know, renaming it, remarketing it is, is another. Right. Right. And that's fine. I don't mind that as long as you cite your sources, but a lot of these people don't do that. And they want to, it get, uh, there's some in the martial arts where everybody gets this crazy guru mentality where they've got to like yeah. invent something or be a God. Of, it's like, oh God, can we just be done with it? So fighting library was, and, and then scientificwrestling.com were part of the grappling literacy phase that I started where I'm just like, let's make this like not even controversial guys. Like, and I'm going to make this available to everybody. Like you can't even argue these points anymore. Okay. That was phase one. That was from about 2003 to about 2007. Phase two, I launched the first catch wrestling rules competitions in over 100 years with the King of Catch Wrestling tournament, which the rule set, I got cool bragging rights, a real nice feather in the hat for King of Catch, is it's the only catch wrestling rule set co-developed by Carl Gotch. I, he actually gave me oh, his wow. input. And like it's all documented and stuff like that. So we started the King of Catch Wrestling and then I also started the certification program, the coaching program, so we could actually start having a competitive platform where people could actually get out and compete. And then we all actually started bringing out the legit guys, in particular Billy Robinson at the time, to teach the real fucking thing. So we had phase one, which was purely grappling literacy. Phase two was about training and competition, right? And now we're in, I'm entering phase three, as, as, I, as I call it, which is now global domination, which is like true expansion. So I launched um, our affiliate program, which is essentially like, you know, CrossFit or 10th Planet or any of these affiliate programs where gyms can now help me in this mission. And, but they get a benefit from the prestigious, undisputed number one brand in the field that's done all this work, that's done all this innovation. Oh, in 2007, I also put out the Mace Bell, which was really just like, I kind of did it just to do it. And that's created like a whole market, which is crazy. I walked into fucking 24-hour fitness. I don't even go in there, but I, I walked in there one day for some reason and they had a fucking Mace. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, I invented that. And they just looked at me like, yeah, you did, old man. I'm like, dude, I fucking invented that. I don't know what to tell you. But um so that second phase was really about competition and training and, and really upping the level from all the bullshit, you know, like setting a high pedestal. And now with the affiliate program, we're looking to expand. So, you know, anybody who affiliates with us gets curriculum. Again, the only curriculum co-developed and endorsed by Billy Robinson, the only one, they get promoter rights to King of Catch. So they get, you know, the only rule set developed by Carl Gotch. Uh, they get resale rights to all the products I've made. So like that fighting library, the DVDs with Carl Gotch and Billy Ross wow. and James Barnett, they get rights to resell that. They get a Mace Bell certification from the guy who invented the Mace. And then because of the Greg Cardone stuff, I do go to the source. I go to number one. And like I went to Billy Robinson, Carl Gotch, I went to Grant Cardone. So you get six months of 10X certified sales and marketing training that comes with it to help you actually launch your business and make money. Because I developed this, this affiliate program because I realized my goal is to hit 8 billion people. If people are going to join me to help, they need to be able to make money. They need to actually profit and it has to be sustainable for this to actually happen. Right? So I, I stacked everything I possibly could to do that. I'm one of uh, 55 people certified by Grant to teach his methods in the entire world. And then, uh, well, as, as of right now, anyway, I'm sure it will grow. And then on top of that, I also 
partnered up with the leading digital marketing agency in the MMA and grappling space. And anybody who signs on to be an affiliate with us, they get two months of their service. And for example, why that would be relevant is they deal with like, I can't say their name. They can, I can't say their clients' oh. names and respect, but one of their clients, for example, they have two huge clients in Southern California, some of the biggest fight gyms and grappling gyms in Southern California. They got them a thousand percent return on advertising spend. And I worked a deal with them so that anybody who affiliates with us gets two months. So, I mean, I basically made this like an offer you can't refuse. Like you'd be stupid not to do it if you're interested in this mission like I am, right? That's one prong is to, uh, my goal is to get 200 affiliate gyms in the next two years. So that's pretty aggressive. I don't know if I'll hit my target, but I'm going to try like, like hell to get these affiliate gyms uh, built out around the planet. We've already got, we just launched it 10 weeks ago and we've already got nine affiliates, which is pretty exciting. So we're getting like one a week. So I don't know if we'll hit that, but the other prong besides the affiliate gyms is I made a step up from the King of Catch Wrestling, which is an open tournament. You could pay to play like anything, like Naga or Fight to Win. You just throw down some money. But I decided we needed an invitational to really showcase high-level athletes doing these rules. And that's when I created Shoot Pro Wrestling. We've had three events so far. Booked it. It's been amazing. The feedback has been absolutely mind-blowing. We booked it with like world champion uh, grapplers, and the way I market it is it's competitive grappling under pro wrestling rules, which is really what catch wrestling really is anyway. Right. Wow, man. That's so, well, not only ambitious, but you feel that drive because that's what it takes. We trying to like, do it the right way. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the right way. No bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cut all the other out. We also love, you know, like stories specifically. I mean, you kind of went to some with, with Carl Gotch. I mean, you mentioned like Billy Robinson. You have some interesting stories of training with him. Well, so, you know, Carl died. So this is an interesting story. Um, I, I, back for anybody who remembers this shit, like the underground MMA.tv, um, Kirik, who's a great guy back like in 2002 or something like that, or 2003 gave me the first catch forum on MMA.tv on the underground. Right. And so I'm on there and because I know Carl, people would ask me questions and then I'd ask Carl and then I'd type back what he said and that kind of stuff. I remember some of the dumb shit back then, which is so funny given the hindsight now, like how brilliant Carl was, you know, like one guy was like, please ask Carl what he thinks of the guard. And so I go and I'm like, Carl, what do you think of the guard? He's like, man, if you're in a wrestling match, and somebody gives you their legs like that, and you don't break their leg, you should quit wrestling. <laughs> and you know yeah. what? People relate that, and people just like were like, oh, what an idiot. And, blah, 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 blah. and I'm like, they're saying this about the guy who pretty much fucking invented MMA. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like cornered Inoki in the Ali Inoki yeah. fight. Like, this is a guy who's seminal. This is how bad the grappling literacy was. And then now, of course, you got like the the Dan or her death squad. They don't nobody yeah. passes guard anymore. They just go straight to leg locks. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, you guys, fuck! <laughs> ah! it, it comes full circle, dude. It drives me nuts. Like I can't even, I can't pay attention anymore. I yeah. just have to keep producing because if I watch this shit, it it'll drive you nuts. It's like, oh my god, <laughs> the, just. The nonsense, the like, the lack of literacy is just baffling. Well, let's, let's go real quick, Jake. Like, let's go into that because 
without people listening, it's all styles of martial artists that will listen to this. I mean, striking, mostly grappling, because we tend to have a lot of grapplers. If people have heard of catch wrestling or who haven't heard of it, still, even people have heard of it, don't really know what it is. Real briefly, with that literacy part you were talking about, you just go real quick and what is catch wrestling and give me at least two or three things that are the most misunderstood aspects of it. Catch wrestling is a grappling sport that was founded sometime around 1870 in the north of England. In fact, it's an amalgamation of the Irish collar and elbow, what was known as rough and tumble in the Lancashire County, which is just dirty street fighting, and some grappling and particularly submission stuff from the Netherlands. There was this weird, like, group of immigrants that all met and it just became this thing at the time it was a very poor time very class segmented Mm -hmm. and the poor were the irish and you know the gentry bet on everything they bet on cockfighting right like dog fighting like and they bet on human fighting and out of that spirit catch wrestling was born when it started it was illegal to wrestle on the ground All wrestling was like kind of like, um, you know, like the Viking stuff that really Greco-Roman became an homage to because Greco-Roman's new, too. But it was an homage to like the the Viking style of upper body wrestling. And you won when you did a takedown and got a guy on his back. Mm -hmm. Well, actually going to the ground and continuing to fight was looked down upon. Interesting. Is that called uh, Glimma? Does that sound right? Glimma is one of them. There's all kinds of uh, swinging out of Sweden is another. Oh, yeah. So there's all these other, you know, Cornish and Devonshire. Uh, like there's all these variations, right? Mm-hmm. But catch is the first one to really say, let's go to the ground. Let's see what happens if we don't just stop. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Let's make sure this guy's done. And it was insanely popular. Even though it was taboo, it was insanely popular. Because of that, the local publicans, not Republicans or Democrats, none of that shit, like people who owned pubs, because the pub is like so central to the culture in, in England, they realized, Hey man, this is hot. Let's start holding these matches to sell beer. Let's hold them at the pub. <laughs> yeah, right. And these were the first wrestling promoters and these wrestlers, <laughs> they were bet. It was betting oriented. Right. And so after a hard day and working in the coal mines in Lancashire, they would bet, Hey, I bet I can beat you. And finding these pots got so big, that these guys could quit their day jobs and make a living wow. betting on wrestling, on their own wrestling. And these were the first pro wrestlers, professional wow. wrestlers. They made a living wrestling. Okay. That's now, the rule set was very simple that, that you had to pin the guy, hold him down with a minor provision that if they quit, that was a win as well. Oh, okay. So this is where you start getting the submissions, trying to get the guy to to quit. So now it's super popular. And around this time, you have the potato famine. And all the Irish who were practicing this sport spread out. (laughs) So a lot of them go into England and it becomes popular in England. And a lot of them go to the United States and you see gangs in New York because it gives you an idea of what's going on. And many of those Irish, it's like, hey, if you're going to come in this country, the only way we're letting you is you got to go fight in the Civil War. Right. So these Irish guys just came straight (laughs) and went right out to the field. But, you know, warfare back then was boring. 
Like you only saw battle. Like, you know, they set up like lines of people and they just shot at each other and ran at each. It was like stupid. So a lot of it was boring downtime. And so they start betting and you start having an American style of catch wrestling that takes off and gets even bigger than the English style. This is where pro wrestling comes from. Yeah. It starts veering off. So eventually, because there's so much betting in the same way, boxing got corrupted and there was people taking dives and it still happens today. You're naive. If you don't think it happens, it only takes one person to throw a fight. And that's the person who loses the guy who won may think he legitimately won. Okay. So you start having these fixes in boxing takes it one way. Well, we're going to fix that. And the way they handle it is they fix matches and make sure that they can get who they want to win through booking. They book a tomato can against a badass and they build up some guy and pad his record and make him like a big thing. And then the champ comes and kills him, right? That's the boxing way. Pro wrestling said, fuck it. Let's go straight up theatrical. (laughs) Because back then, vaudeville and the carnivals were the main way you got entertainment. That's right. Now, these guys had to be legit tough, and so they would take comers from the crowd, but they worked that too. They'd have plants be in the crowd if there wasn't somebody. And Anyway, so so now you start having it kind of veer off. But at the same time, wrestling splits again because you've got these guys doing the, the performance shit that becomes WWE, bodybuilders and feather boas and jumping off ladders and dumb shit. But then you have the amateur style that veers off. And just like how judo took the dangerous shit out of jujitsu, they start stripping the dangerous stuff out of catch and it becomes freestyle folk style. So, I mean, catch is huge. It's fucking huge in terms huge. of its impact. I mean, and, and again, these are, well, jujitsu. And I'm like, jujitsu is be, Brazilian jujitsu is because of catch. Like, I mean, I don't know what to fucking tell you. It's, it's the like, grandfather of what everybody knows from any type of modern grappling. Across the it board. really is. Like, I, I can make a very good case that it was there first on almost every single case of like combat sport. And it's huge, dude. I mean, like WWE alone is like massive. Then I look at like high school and collegiate wrestling is massive, you know? Wow. Yeah, it's huge, huge. And then look at MMA. So catch is um, absolutely fascinating. And there's so many interesting characters and so many interesting stories. And so, you know, like I had met Josh on the underground and he, he sent me a private message. He's like, look, man, I got these promoters in Japan. They want to do a magazine article on me. And you're like the only person I know who knows Carl. Can you get me to meet Carl and then have the Japanese press come and film it? And I was like, yeah, dude, of course. And so that happened. And, um, like about like, I don't know, maybe half a year later, I was like, Hey, do you know Billy Robinson? He's like, yeah. I was like, dude, can you introduce me? And so he introduced me. Yeah. It was like, like a, like a nice quid pro quo kind of thing. And I met Billy and now I had already known Carl. I had known Fujiwara. I had known Gene LaBelle. And now Billy's like, Oh, this is somebody who actually knows what the fuck he's talking about. Not one of these idiot blowhards who's like kissing ass. And so we set up a whole thing and I was like, dude, let's go. Let's make this big. And he was like, let's go. I'm excited. That's amazing. And that's another thing, you know, it was surprising to know, especially with Pancrase, you know, what's popular coming up through the years. Was it Carl Gotts that brought cats to Japan specifically as far as going into like Shudo and all that? So you have to, like, there's a lot of history around kind of the evolution. It's not just simple, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to remember like 
we dropped a bomb, two massive bombs on Japan. And it was after they had actually already uh, given up. Like we had the bombs and we just wanted yeah. to test it. It was like fucked up, right? Like it's yeah. like kind of a war crime. I hate to break that to anybody, but it was like, if you, if you study the history of the bomb and Oppenheimer and all that kind of stuff, it was like messed up. And that actually was the start of the cold war because the Russians didn't know either. And then they saw this nuke and they're like, Whoa, the war's over and you just pull this thing. It's on bro. You know what I mean? It was like a mess. Anyway, part of the rebuilding of Japan now that they were destroyed and had to be reintegrated into this world order where the United States was the boss one of the things that was done to build back national pride was they introduced pro wrestling because Japan is a combat. Oh, I mean, yeah. you, you have to realize how badass Japan is. Like, literally, this little tiny fucking island, they're like, we're going to just fly our fucking planes into your boats. Like, they're <laughs> like, like, they don't do ball sports. They have like karate, judo, aikido, fucking jujitsu. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's, yeah. a combat. It's, a, it's a warrior culture. And um, so they brought over pro wrestling and they would book like guys like Ricky Dozon against the guy Jin and have him win. And because of this, the Japanese start loving pro wrestling. They're already a warrior culture. They're allowing them to win in the booking to build up national identity and create a bridge that's peaceful, but competitive. And so pro wrestling proliferates. Meanwhile, Carl Gotch is over here in the United States well, first, Carl got wrapped up into a um, concentration camp during World War II, almost died, Cut, like almost starves to death. The, the war ends, gets out, ends up being a badass, yeah. becomes freestyle champ of Belgium, Greco champ of Belgium, and places 10th in the Olympics. And he's like, dude, I would have done better, but I was in a concentration yeah. camp. <laughs> this is like thinking the 48 Olympics. Then Carl is at the 48 Olympics, a guy named Alf, Alfred Robinson, Billy's uncle, Billy Robinson's uncle, is a boxer. He boxed Max Bear, and he's a, a pro wrestler. And he's scouting for Riley's gym, Billy Riley's gym, which is known as the Snake Pit, which everybody uses that name, and it totally loses meaning now. So I use Billy Riley's gym to, so people know I'm talking about Billy Riley. Mm -hmm. His gym, they scouted down at the Olympics down in London in 48 at the, and saw Carl and invited him to come up. Carl stays there for 12 years. This is where he and Billy start to get to know each other. And Carl learns all this, loves Wigan, learns the catches catch can style, leaves though as a pro wrestler, starts making money, gets to the United States, basically assaults Buddy Rogers, nature boy Buddy Rogers in the locker room. <laughs> so he gets blackballed from the entire pro wrestling industry because oh, no. Buddy Rogers was the biggest name. Like he was the Hulk Hogan. He was the rock. He was. Didn't uh, Ric Flair inherit that? The nature boy is kind of an archetype. And so, but, but Buddy Rogers was the first, right? The blonde beach, beach yeah. guy, tan. And, uh, but, but he was a show wrestler and Carl had no patience <laughs> with that shit. And basically like threatened to fucking kill him. And, uh, Buddy Rogers had him because he was an immigrant, had him, uh, kicked out of the country. So there was another wrestler who's good friends with Carl named Bill Miller. Big Bill Miller is what Carl used to call him. And Bill Miller got him booked in Japan. So that's, oh, okay. And when he started in Japan with his bad attitude, <laughs> the Japanese loved it. Because yeah. <laughs> he went to like the Kodakon, beat everybody up at the Kodakon. Like he was like, come on. And he just killed everybody. And the Japanese were like, holy shit. 
This is the God of wrestling. And so then he partners with Inoki and just, it just gets huger and huger and huger. Right. And so then Carl keeps trying to make wrestling real and he's got so much influence in Japan. He starts things like Shudo. He starts things like new Japan. He starts things like Pancras, uh, pro wrestling, Fujiwara Gumi. He's involved with all this stuff. Yeah. He's in the Inoki uh, fight with, you know, he's cornering Inoki against Muhammad Ali. This is like Carl's vision and he's bumping up against it before the internet. Right. Like, and with no money, wow. but he's got a lot of will and a lot of smarts for being, you know, a street kid and really starts impacting the game. That's huge. Like I said, it's not just part of grappling or martial arts history, but it's just part of just history as a whole. Uh, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Not just that, but like, Badass as shit. Super legit. Super effective. It would uh, make it, a great movie. It would make a like like. There's so many characters in 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 catch. I mean, Gene LaBelle's life would make a great oh. movie. Billy Robinson's life would make a great movie. Carl Gotch, some of the Golden Age guys like like that you never heard of. Uh, Tom Jenkins, who was the champion, uh, beat Frank Gotch as many times as Frank beat him. He was the champ before Frank Gotch. A lot of these guys would make fantastic movies. And you yourself had a lot of really good impact on it. Like I said, I've been following you for a long time. And whether it's, uh, you know, you got BGJ Fanatics, you got uh, Scientific Wrestling books. Also, you said all those recordings you did. That's treasure trolls right there. Real quick, just for people listening, can you tell wherever, you know, to find you, where people should go to see your information and things like that? I mean, probably the best, easiest way where everything is more centralized is just scientificwrestling.com. But, you know, we've got presence everywhere on social media. So you can go to TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. I don't know if I'm on Twitch, but I might be on Twitch. I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. I know there's so much, uh, so many new ones as well. Just kind of as we're wrapping things up, talk about futures a bit. So just kind of paint me your picture. What's your immediate futures moving forward as you're pushing things out? So again, the affiliate program is huge. Um, I do really want to get 150, 200, uh, affiliate gyms, uh, in the next couple of years. Um, if people are interested, they want to learn about it, like all the, how to actually make money and do something cool. Um, it's scientific wrestler.com scientific wrestler.com. But the other, and then the other prong, uh, for this global domination phase that I'm in right now is shoot pro wrestling. And you can go to YouTube. I put the first three up. I'm pretty proud of it. We've been doing it on a bare bones um, budget. I am looking for sponsors. Our first show, I had no names. Like just, I booked it with people crazy enough to do this shit with me. Good wrestlers, but not big name wrestlers. And that first one, all I did is set up my cell phone and did a Facebook live. We had over 20,000 views Whoa. on that. Now I thought, okay, hey, we got that big of an audience. Awesome. I'm going to try pay-per-view it. And it just didn't go. The pay-per-view people I was with didn't know how to promote. And it just, I mean, they were great. It's just, it wasn't good enough, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. So while I'm very proud of those, and you can go to YouTube and watch them, mm -hmm. you can see Shoe Pro Wrestling 2, which is really, it's, I don't know, Shoe Pro Wrestling 3 is great too, but Shoe Pro Wrestling 2, I, it's multi-cameras. I have multi, multiple cameras. I have commentation. Um, it's good. It's cool. And it's in like this dive biker bar looking place. It's rough. <laughs> and it was a tag team tournament with world champion grapplers doing competitive tag team pro wrestling. Wow. And dude, it's the craziest shit you'll ever see. 
literally like one of the things <laughs> I do is when, there, when there's a tag, it's straight up like WWE. They got to hold the rope. When there's a tag, you have 10 seconds of interference time where it could be two wrestlers against one for 10 seconds. Really? So it's like a street fight, dude. Wow. It's the craziest shit you'll ever see. <laughs> it is a really fun, fun thing. And then shoe pro wrestling three, we did a middleweight tournament and we had Jacoby Jones who I think he's won like high rollers. He's an MMA guy, really good athlete. We had Nick Tarpley, who is on the national Greco Roman team. Lots of great guys on the event. And that was, that one really turned out the best. Uh, you just got to, we put the, the, put the full pay-per-view stream up. And mm-hmm. so you got to just go through the first 10 minutes while it's waiting for the show to start. And then it start, it's really great. So those to me are the two areas where we really need to get support and, and help. So like I said, the mission is huge. It's 8 billion people <laughs> to yeah. get them to be conscious of the impact of this sport and to be involved and to improve their lives with it. So shoe pro wrestling that I believe is, is going to be the future and then affiliate gyms everywhere. Awesome. Awesome. And kind of like last question in closing here, whether someone's brand new to it, never done any sports whatsoever, or people train jujitsu, kickboxing, you name it. Why should everybody be training catch wrestling, Jake? It's the greatest martial art combat sport the planet's ever seen. If you don't know it, you can't speak to that. And people who come to our camps, if you go to coachingcatch.com, we do 10 camps a year. People's minds are blown at what they don't know. I have black belts. I have pro MMA fighters. We At our last camp in San Diego, we had Liz Carmouche, uh, Bellator lightweight champ. I mean, it you just got to do it. Like the feedback that I've gotten over the last 15 years of doing the training camp, again, with the stuff taught by Billy Robinson, some stuff in there by Wade Chalice, some stuff with Carl Gotch that's in the mix. The one overwhelming feedback that we always get is people send me a message like the week later, they're like, holy shit. I spent two days with you guys and I'm beating guys that I have not been able to ever beat in the gym before. Wow. And so that's, we call it an accelerator camp just because there's so much of the grappling literacy that people are really missing out on. Man, it's just so much information, so much history. Like I said, yeah, going to your website, scientific wrestling, everything you've mentioned so far, I've been following you for years and it's been so awesome to talk with you. I'd love to have you on the show again. Cause I feel like this is at least should be a two-parter because there's so much more uh, to go into, but man, thank you so much for taking time to do with the show. No, thank you, dude. It was a real pleasure. I, I mean, uh, it's nice to talk to somebody that's got, you know, a little bit of perspective and been around for a while. So I, I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Warrior's Edge podcast. For more great talks and interviews on all things martial arts, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platforms. And if you're ever in our area, you're welcome to come in and train with us at our academy, Olympus Grappling Arts. Until the next one, keep listening and keep training.